Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So uh, we're uh, running all kinds of glitches this morning with Facebook, so I would uh, say to those folks watching online, be patient, we're working on the problem. It's somewhat systemic, maybe Facebook, but they won't hear me. (laughs) They'll hear like this. So... uh, We're going to take a little ride this morning, and uh, we're wrapping up this little short series uh, that uh, started in the book of Colossians and then jumped into Philemon. And uh, we're going to wrap that up today, uh, Invitation to Reality. And so I just want to, we're going to do several things, and I hope at the end they make sense. Amen? Don't you? Don't you hope they do? Prayerfully decide later. So... um, What I ultimately want to talk about are the five strategic steps for living kingdom life. So just so you know. So I'll tell you where we're going, and maybe you have some hope of going there with me at the end. (laughs) But if you just kind of look back over this rather short series, and you thought about what's going on, the first week we really, when Craig gave us the introduction, he he shared with us that, that invitation. You are invited to leave the dominion of darkness and to dwell in the kingdom of light. And so just at the very beginning to say to you, is that happening for you? Is there a daily moment-by-moment choice to say, I'm not living in this dominion of darkness. I'm, I'm seeking, living, pursuing kingdom life. It matters. And so when you stop and you begin to think about that and what it means and what it looks like, that that's a moment-by-moment choice that happens inside of us when we feel that oppressiveness, when we feel the weight on us, when we feel the anger on us, when things flare up inside of us. That's indicating that, that somewhere the dominion of darkness is weighing us down, and we have an invitation to move out from under that and not live in that space. And then week two, we talked about being imprinted, and that, that in a vivid way, what's going on in this little letter of Philemon is we have... You know, Paul's saying, listen, Philemon, you have a decision to make. You can look at Onesimus and see him as imprinted by, the, by Caesar's kingdom, by the coin of Caesar's kingdom, or you can see him imprinted by the image of God. That's two different currencies. And so we are image bearers of this kingdom of God. We don't traffic in the image bearing that goes along with all of the cultural norms. We traffic in an image bearing that goes along with the kingdom of God, are we? Is that the currency in which we traffic? Is that what we hold valuable? We have to have some of that because we have to eat and live and pay the bills. Amen? But it's easy to get sucked into that and to believe that that's what life's about. But we have an invitation to reality, to move away from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We are not imprinted by all of that. We are imprinted by the image of God, and that's where we find our value, and that's how we measure worth. And then last week, Colton led us and talked about reconciliation and the power of reconciliation and the need for a willingness to reconcile, a heart of humility that is willing to reconcile. And sometimes in our culture, in our world, we forget that Jesus was fairly explicit about this. 
You've heard it said to love those who love you, but I say to you, love those who mistreat you and hate you and spitefully use you. Everybody loves those people that love them. I'm telling you to love your enemies. We seem to forget that part. But as image bearers of the kingdom of God, we live in an attitude and spirit of reconciliation. And then today we're thinking about this strategy of kingdom life. We are being invited to live the kingdom life. Now I'm going to give you an illustration, and I'm making it clear that it's an illustration because later I don't want to hear that Pastor Dave preached about Confucius. Okay? So if you go tell somebody that, uh, I will be mean to you on social media. Confucius was a sociologist, by the way, and uh, he lived in about the 6th century B.C., and he lived at a time where the child dynasty of China was in decline. From about the 8th century B.C. to about the 3rd century B.C., the child dynasty was just falling apart. Uh, the, the, the country had deteriorated from a, a, a nation of great national pride to really feuding land barons. So kind of if you think about feudalism, that's what was going on in China. Some of the greatest atrocities in human history occurred in this period of time. Uh, just horrific things that happened during this period of time. So that, <laughs> so that uh, the, the, the burning question was, how are we going to keep from destroying ourselves? I, I think that's an applicable question, isn't it, sometimes? Uh, how are we going to keep from... And so the argument for Confucius became that he just stepped back and he said, I see several things that are going on. Uh, number one, some people think that reason is the way forward. That if we just teach people right from wrong, then they will do the right thing. That doesn't even work in our house, does it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we can't even think of one example. I mean, it might work sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time, does it? Interestingly, when this country was being settled and sort of putting our systems in place, we bought into this. We, we bought into a system that has come to be known as Jeffersonian Enlightenment. If you just tell people what's better, they'll do what's better. Turns out, that's not true, is it? Because the problem isn't out there. It's in here. And human beings have a tendency to not choose the best thing. Who knew? So along came the folks who, who said, well, it's not reason that really gets it done. We're the realists. And the realists said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create laws so that if people mess up, we get them. We'll just get them. We'll just take them down. We'll put them away. The problem with that is that you just get a whole bunch of people who don't do anything bad enough to get punished, but don't live in a very good state of mind or attitude. They're kind of miserable folks. So the reason group and the law and order group, all they ever really got to were the worst offenders, but they didn't solve the problem underneath it. We all understand this, right? Let's go back to our homes. Sometimes people do the right thing at home, not because they want to do the right thing at home and they're not doing it with a very good attitude, but they're doing the right thing and you can't punish them because they did the right thing. But you know underneath it that you want to get them because they're not doing it the way you want to. Amen? Another whole group of people, those who had the reason group, those who had the realist group, then you had another whole group of people, they were the love people. If people just love each other, it'll all work out. We're just going to love. We're going to love. Everybody's going to love. All you need is love. All you need is love. And love is all you need. Turns out this isn't true either, is it? 
Because one person's definition of love is one thing, and another person's definition is, of love is another thing. Some people think love is all soft side. I just love you. I just hug. And then other people think love is all hard side. You need to face the fact, be disciplined. This is what love is about. It's about doing the right thing all the time. It looks a lot like reason and law and order. And so Confucius came along and said, you know, none of this is working. None of it is working. We need something that is organically inside of a human being, listen, that changes the human heart and programs the way human beings think. Now, what Confucius came up with was what he called deliberate tradition. He said, we will infuse the culture with a tradition that will so ingrain them to behaviors that they won't even think about being obedient or disobedient. They'll just do the right thing. Tradition will bind them. We will bake the cake of custom and everyone will eat it. 2,500 years later, people in China still eat the cake of custom started by Confucius, even though the communists have tried to eliminate it. <laughs> it's been very powerful. 2,000 years before Confucius lived, God began to tell the story of a narrative written on the human heart that reprograms how we feel, think, and act. It was called the kingdom of God. That he explicitly spoken to the prophets was, one day you will not have rules written on stone, but you will write them on your heart, and you will pass them down to your children, and it will become organically a part of you, and it will influence how you experience emotion and relationship and how you think. When the woman at the well is speaking to Jesus about whether we should worship God in Jerusalem or worship God on the mountain in the with the Sumerians, Jesus says, there will come a time when you will worship neither on that mountain or on this mountain, but true believers will worship in spirit and in truth. So what sociologically was a pathway that was a new discovery and has been binding in a big way, God had already conceived and understood. It was about being a part of the kingdom of God alive on earth. Something that we pass down from generation to generation. You know what I'm annoyed about? <laughs> I heard someone say, we don't care. <laughs> I am annoyed about the cultural narrative. So if I were just to say to you this morning, fill in the blank. The salvation of the world will be through Blank. Now, I, I know you're in church now, and so you all go, oh, it's God. It's Jesus. But I'm wondering how often you say that on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Because I don't know if you've experienced this, but we live in a cultural narrative in which we are, our culture is full of activists. We have activists for every cause under the planet. Amen? Amen. I mean, if there's a frog in your backyard, be careful. There's a group protecting that frog. <laughs> there is. There is. I mean, it doesn't matter. I was having a conversation with some neighbors this week. And we were talking about trees. And it turns out, you know, there are very strong emotional feelings about trees. And there are groups that protect trees. I know. I'm not against that. I think that's a good thing. Whales, seals, you know, take your pick. There's all kinds of activist group. Here's what annoys me. When we start to believe that that is actually the way forward that that's actually at some point going to transform the world into a place of health and wholeness. And what really annoys me is that those of us who identify with the kingdom of God sometimes lean into social activism and cultural activism as if it's going to fix something 
that the kingdom of God never thought about. What if the kingdom of God is the very best life possible? What if the kingdom of God is actually the dream? It's actually that thing that embodies justice and equality and fairness. It actually shows the proper respect for the creation on the planet. What, what if it is in this thing called the kingdom of God that we actually find wholeness and fulfillment? What if this is it? And we treat it like it's one more of these things. Well, those are the Christian people. They're just activists for Christianity. We don't even really know what they're about. They don't either. Amen? Because you get a bunch of Christians together, and what do you have? You have a whole bunch of representations of all kinds of versions. But we're called out of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of light. We're the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We don't flee the dominion of darkness. That's our field of evangelism. That's where we work. That's where the folks that need help reside. We don't ridicule. We, we, we just come over here and we get healthy and whole, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and then we activate into our world as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Ambassadors, as Colton talked about last week, of reconciliation, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We don't ridicule the world. We don't hate the world. Because <laughs> the world's made up of people. Children of the Creator. So we love. What if this is true? What if everything the Bible says about the kingdom of God is true? Do we live like that? What percentage of time are we living in the dominion with the imprint of this world as opposed to the kingdom of light and the imprint of the kingdom of God in the image of Christ. What percentage? Just do the math in your head. What percentage of time do you spend? I mean, because the reality is, I don't know about you, they tell me in the psychological circles that you should pay attention to the ouch. That means when something happens inside of you that triggers, you go, why? Oh, there was an ouch. So maybe you're watching the news, <laughs> very healthy thing. Maybe you're watching the news and you feel an ouch and you go, oh, why did I feel that out? Maybe you're in a conversation with somebody and they say something and you go, whoa, why the ouch? What was the pinch? Because I believe moment by moment, even conversation by conversation, we feel the pinch. We feel the ouch. And that is, we're, we're, we're sort of sitting in space where we start to believe that this is all there is, that this is what really matters, that the politics of the day and, and all the issues of the day, this is really what it's all about. But it isn't all about that. This is a symptom. The disease is what goes on inside of a human heart. And what if the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light is really the ideal life and the ideal community. I want to say this out loud. I think I wrote this, but I might have stolen it. So if you read it somewhere else, know that this could be plagiarized. I don't know. I didn't footnote it. And it, I, when I went back and I read it and I go, I don't think I wrote that, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> the biblical narrative and the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly confronts the deeper reality of the conditions of the human heart. 
The remedy for this faulty condition is a loving grace demonstrated through forgiveness, redemption, restoration, and empowering so that a fully functioning human being, embraced, empowered, and championed by a loving God, can go walk into the world and right the wrongs and build a world that is part of every person's deepest desire to literally build the kingdom of heaven on earth, a kingdom that is a kingdom of love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. What if that is the kingdom of light? That the answer to the issues within my own heart, within my own mind, within my own spirit, within my own home and my own family, within this community, within this nation, within the world, it's not about all of these things of cultural activism and social activism, but it's really about implementing this Im unbelievably beautiful image of a kingdom that really is filled with love and grace and forgiveness and equality and justice and peace. Do we live like that? Do we think like that? Is that what happens to us? That's what Paul is speaking into this church at Colossae. They're trying to make up their minds. They're trying to decide what they're about. This tiny little group. And Paul is confronting the things that are going on there. And he's basically saying, listen, you're being pulled in a lot of directions. But what I want to call you to is not that you become highly Jewish and not that you become Roman. I, I want to call you to become kingdom people imprinted by the very image of Christ. And by the way, that's going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard because there's an issue. And the issue involves a man named Onesimus. And he's a slave. And he's owned by the leader of the church. Well, that's awkward. So I'm going to invite you to step into the reality of this kingdom, and it's going to be a real practical lesson. So go with me on the journey. Five steps in which I believe Paul strategically is inviting us to engage the kingdom of God. Number one, he prays. Colossians 1.9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy. So pray. I, I just think somehow this is one of those neglected things in which we will never really see the kingdom of God come until we learn that the first step to strategic implementation of the kingdom of God, whether it's in my own personal life or the life of a church, it happens through prayer. You know what would be awesome is if all of us had a big thing across our forehead that let us know when our batteries were low. Because let's be honest, low battery signal is a crisis. Amen? We traveled these last few days. Listen, people in airports whose batteries are low are very violent people. Have you experienced this? I mean... Honestly, when people are about to get on an airplane and there'll be no place to plug in for a couple of hours or three hours or four hours, if they have a low battery, they will go to, I mean, pandemic. Once your battery's low, all rules are cast aside. Adults climbing on the floor underneath benches to find an outlet. Have you seen this? I'm not making this up. Like life as we know it will come to an end if I cannot play solitaire on this plane ride. I must plug in. I must be re-empowered. 
people at those little benches that are there for re, re I mean it is it is not it is there are people die over there <laughs> there's violence over there and I wonder how often it would be really useful for us we had a little alarm that went off that says low battery you better plug in you better plug in you better plug in you better plug in you are down to nothing you're running on fumes but we don't do that, do we? We don't do that. We just go ahead and run on fumes. And then whatever people get, that's what they get. Whatever our family gets, that's what they get. I'm running on fumes. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm just barely got any... Jesus had to plug in all the time. And I figure if Jesus needed to plug in all the time, I probably need more. I probably need to plug in more, a little bit more, little bit, a little bit more than he did. And Paul at the beginning says, listen, kingdom life is rooted here. It's rooted in getting connected to the Savior. It's rooted in getting connected to the source. I think a lot of us, we look at prayer like it's a task. And, and we have to get good at it. And I, and I think, you know, read everything you can on prayer. But somewhere there's this beauty about prayer that's about abiding in the presence of God that takes no real special talent or even very special words. I mean, you know, when I plug my phone in, it's not doing anything, really. It's just, you know, oh, I mean, I'm playing solitaire on it, but. How often do we just stop and we go, you know, I felt an ouch. I felt an ouch in my spirit. I felt an ouch. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to quiet my heart. I don't need to fill up the space with a bunch of words. I need to plug in. God, I need you. I need your presence. I need to be with you. I need to have a space of communion. By the way, we're kicking off Advent next week, and we're going to, uh, you can start looking at the book now. We're going to uh, uh, tag team off of a book by a guy named Sky Jathani, and the book is called With, and in it he explores the five postures that Christians take with God. I, I have finished writing all of Advent, and man, I am so convicted, and I hope to share that conviction with you as we go through Advent. With God is the vision and dream. For God, from God, over God, under God is how most of us live. With God. How often are we just with God? Just with God. Just plugged in to be recharged. How often do we recognize, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out of energy, I'm out of grace, I'm out, I'm out. I'm on empty. I've gone into the safe mode. I'm on the low power setting at this point. I need to plug in. And Paul at the beginning says, listen, kingdom life is rooted here. It's rooted right here. Since the moment we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Number two, he thinks. Continuing, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. This is Colossians 1.9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I am frustrated with people that don't think. Now, in fairness, I catch myself not thinking sometimes. Last Sunday, here's an admission. 
Hopefully I won't be, you know, in trouble. But last week, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I was driving back from uh, Pasadena campus. You know, that's kind of a quick trip over here to make sure I'm here on time. And uh, I was driving and I looked up and I blasted right through a red light. And I thought, you know, um, if I were one of those people <laughs> that just saw me do that, I would go, what is the matter with that person? They are not thinking at all. And that was true. It's true. And I think we all got to get in that mode. But around the church, people that don't think much, and oftentimes people who stand where I'm standing talk, and they don't seem to have thought much. They don't seem to have thought of the implications of the words they're speaking. And I've shared this with you before, but, you know, I take this job pretty seriously, and when I stand up here, I've tried to really prepare and be in a prayerful place so that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart are pleasing to God, but the conviction that I have is not just here. It shouldn't be just here. It should be every conversation, every day, all the time, that I should be in a mode of thinking in a way of, am I representing and building the kingdom of God with my words, with my attitude, with my spirit? Am I? I got to engage this. Wisdom, discretion, understanding. So often we step over into this world of activism and we say and do things that make a lot of sense over here. But this is all temporary. I'm not saying we shouldn't influence it. I'm not saying we should do the best we can. We ought to. We ought to do everything we can for equality and justice and fairness and all the things that matter over here. But this is not our world. This is our world the kingdom of light. And in it, we try to share light into the darkness. But we don't buy into the arguments. We don't get over here and debate. We don't get over here and get immersed in the politics. We stay over here. And I don't know if we say it out loud very often, but if all of this got fixed, it still wouldn't solve the problem at the core, which is the selfishness at the core of a human heart. And you have it, and I have it. And only God can redeem that. Only God can change this. And when this gets fixed, that stuff cleans up. And when this is broken, that stuff's a mess. We think. We use wisdom. We engage. Number three, he challenges the conventional wisdom. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. This is Paul talking. Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he had been over in human systems. By the way, a human system is a, an over-God posture where we work the system, but we don't really need the God of relationship. We're just working the system. That's what Judaism was in the first century. I don't really need God. In fact, when God showed up, they didn't even recognize him because he wasn't necessary to the system. I'm thankful we don't do that anymore. You know, just have a spiritual system in which God's really not that important. We're just working the rules. We're just working the system. We don't really need to be locked in relationship with him. We just need to be working the system. And Paul says, all those things I once held dear, I now consider them loss. 
In fact, I consider them garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as Lord. And I'll challenge the conventional wisdom. Don't allow yourself to be blown around by the hollow philosophies that are around us. It concerns me. It's a compelling thing. Listen, when I was growing up, my school teachers did not immerse me in philosophies. In fact, most of them, if they were going to spout a philosophy, it was going to be a Christian philosophy. That is not what our kids are going through. They're hearing a lot of stuff. And a lot of the stuff they're hearing, it just simply isn't true. It just simply isn't real. It's a fictitious belief in that somehow over here in all the activism is going to be an answer. And at the end of the day, it's not. It's not. Because over here, we're just working human systems from human points of view. How many of you saw the... 2020 special last night about the kids out in Riverside, 13 kids who were held captive in their own home. How many of you saw it? Here's a crazy thing. 13 kids chained to their beds for a number of years. Finally, one of the older kids escaped, notified the authorities. Those 13 kids were rescued from the home. More than a half million dollars was raised for their support, education, and future. There's an investigation going on in the county of Riverside for the officials who stole the money. And those same 13 kids were put back into the foster system and subject to abuse in foster homes. These systems don't solve the problem. The problem exists in the human heart. And you can be an activist for children and still have selfish motives that cause this breakdown until we solve the problem of the human heart. We're not solving the problem. And we can't, as the people of God, be afraid to challenge the conventional wisdom. Just because it's popular, it doesn't mean it's right. And just because it's unpopular, doesn't mean it's wrong. We are a part of the kingdom of light. And we keep our heads. We pray, we think, because then we can challenge conventional wisdom in ways that are loving and kind and good. Number four, he stands in the gap. He stands in the gap. Listen to this. I, Paul, now we're in Philemon, verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I love this sentence. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will pay it back, whatever he owes you, not to mention that you owe me your very life. I do wish, brother... <laughs> that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. He's standing in the gap. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I'll pay back whatever he owes you. Not to mention you owe me your very self, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm standing in the gap. Now, if you think about this, he's writing to Philemon, a very wealthy person in Colossae, and the head of the church, very influential, meeting, the whole thing's meeting in his house, loose Philemon, and the whole thing's up for grabs. And he is embracing Philemon. But his reach is so great that he's not only embracing Philemon, he's also embracing Onesimus, a slave who has broken the law. I mean, he's down on this end of the spectrum Loving Onesimus. And what is he saying to Onesimus? You got to go back. You got to make it right. I mean, I love you. 
and God's redeemed you, but we're going to make this right. And over here, he's talking to Philemon. I, I know you're wealthy, and I know you're important and all that. But listen, you're going to have to fix this. It's not okay that you own him. That's not okay. That's not how we do it. That is imprinting over here. That's the dominion of darkness. Over here, in the imprint of Christ, we don't look at things like that. He's not a commodity. He's not worth 70000 or 200000 or whatever it is. Here's what he's worth. He's the image of the divine God. He's your brother. I'm telling you, I love you, Philemon. You might be up and out, but I love you. And you might be down and out on this and this, but I got news for you. There's things you need to do. And I got news for you. There's things you need to do. We're not good at this. We have a tendency to pick one and vilify the other. The embrace of the church should be so broad that we love people across the continuum because all of them are in need of a loving God and redemption. Just like us. Just like us. And Paul says, I'm standing in the gap because that's what we do. Because kingdom people stand in the gap. They stand in the gap. I write with my own hand. I'm involved. I'm connected. I'm standing in the gap for you, Philemon. I'm pulling you into the kingdom. Onesimus, I'm standing in the gap with you. I'm, I'm with you. I love you. I'm advocating for you. You do the right thing. I'll do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing together. We're all going to get this together. <laughs> we are opening our arms wide. We love, we love we love, we love. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. By your attitude. No, no. By your activism. No. By your love. By your love. As I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. A new command I give you. Number five. He's careful not to isolate. I love this. <laughs> I, Paul, writing with my own hand... I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your being, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, listen, this could get weird between us. It could get awkward. But I'm not going to let it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up and stay at your house. You think this is weird between us? You think you know this is awkward? You think I wrote you this letter and now it's like, ooh, I don't know what to say. Ah. I'm coming to your house and I'm going to stay in the guest room and you better make me breakfast. <laughs> we don't do that, do we? Oh, it got weird. I'm not talking to them again. I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to go over here and go over there. We don't allow isolation. We just, keep, we just keep building relationship. We just keep loving people. We just keep moving into the space. We are called to be kingdom people. Do you believe that? And do you believe that kingdom life is the hope of the world? That it's my hope for psychological well-being. It's my hope for spiritual wholeness. It's my hope for relational wholeness. It's my hope for cultural wholeness. It's my hope for political wholeness. This is my hope. My hope is not in other things. My hope is not in the belief that someday the politics will get fixed. I hope it gets better. Amen? Amen. Woo! Ignatius is one of the early martyrs of the church. Fifty years after this letter is written, Ignatius is martyred for his faith. In the days leading up to his martyrdom, he writes a series of letters 
to a lot of people who have been important in his life. One of those letters contains an excerpt in tribute to the Bishop of Ephesus. The Bishop of Ephesus' name is Onesimus. Now, it's unusual that the bishop's name would be Onesimus because Onesimus is a name that was used for slaves. But there were a lot of Onesimuses running around. However, Ignatius in the letter uses the same pun that Paul uses in the letter of Colossians, which is, don't let him just be Onesimus in name, let him be Onesimus in nature. And Ignatius writes this exact phrase in Greek that is used of this Onesimus, causing scholars to believe that it was this Onesimus who came back to Philemon, who found forgiveness and redemption, that Onesimus did the right thing and Philemon did the right thing and they lived as people of the kingdom of God so that a slave rose to a position of power and influence in the early church because that is the nature of the kingdom of God. And in my mind, I think about this. Do you think old Philemon ever came over to the bishop of Ephesus to receive communion? Do you think that Onesimus ever broke the bread and handed it to Philemon and looked at each other and went, can you imagine? Can you even imagine we would ever be here in this space like this? Brothers in the kingdom of God partaking together in the very spirit of God and the presence and body of Christ? Can you even imagine? Listen, we can't even imagine what God wants to do. What if the kingdom of God is the hope of the world? What if it's the hope of your heart, life, mind, spirit, body, home, family? What if it's the hope, the real thing, that these words, fairness, peace, justice, equality, they're not just pretty words. They're the very nature of the kingdom of God. I, I want to be a part of that. I want to build it. I want to create it. I want to live in it. I want to pray. I want to have wisdom. I want to challenge conventional thinking. I want to stand in the gap. And I don't want to let anybody isolate. I want us to be together. God, will you help us as we think about what, what it means to each one of us as individuals to be these kingdom people imprinted by the image of God. As we go out into this week and we, we practice our thanksgiving, we practice our gratitude, would you help us to think about what it means for us as we gather around tables, probably with friends and family that don't see everything eye to eye in this old cultural reality. We're, we're not all looking at it the same way. But would you remind us that what we have in common is so much greater than what divides us? That we don't approach the world in that way. We approach the world as the salt of the earth and the light of the world and image bearers of Jesus Christ. We've left the dominion of darkness and we dwell in the kingdom of light. We're image bearers. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. I pray as we sing this closing song that you'd do work in each of our hearts as we 
make fresh commitments to be a part of this kingdom. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.